Hey, this is Scotty Dingus, pastor of West Logan Church. We are glad you're joining us for our podcast today. I hope you find what you need in today's message. So we're talking about Heal Our Land. This is part two. And we're going to read our scripture, which is one of the most famous popular scriptures in, uh, in all the Bible. I never really preach from it as my text, I don't think. Uh, so that's where we're looking at because it's so well quoted, you know, pastor try to stay away from those things. But God really began to speak to me about really uh, the context and what's taking place and how it relates today. And sometimes it's just like a prophetic word, God relating, renewing to us. And that means a now word. Uh, so Second Chronicles 7, 12 through 14. And the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I heard your prayer and chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. Then this is the most pop, one of the most popular scriptures. Here it is. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So recapping from last week, what's taking place in this scripture? First of all, the people of God's praying to God. Things need to change, God. We want things to change. God said, if you want things to change, then you need to humble yourselves and pray. He said, you need to turn from your wicked ways, and I'm going to forgive your sin. I'm going to heal your land. He's talking to the people of God. He's talking to his people saying, there's sin I need to forgive. Just not in your life, but in your land. He said, because I want to heal your land. So God told Solomon, he said, listen, um, that there's no rain. You need rain for your crops. Rain's what brings forth a better harvest so that you can have a better life. And he said, there's no rain. He also said, the locusts are devouring your crops. And uh, all these different things are happening. Dinner is a pestilence or disease among the people, a plague among the people. And then we begin to relate this to, to today, all right? No rain means no change or no renewal. It means the Spirit of God is not moving. So to have, the, to have change and have renewal, we need the Spirit of God in our life. And it, this is what they really needed spiritually. And then the locusts are devouring the crops, which represents just so many things and outbreaks and uh, bondages that is devastating and devouring our people. Uh, we can talk about addiction. We can talk about immorality. We can talk about a mindset. But I told them this in the 9 o'clock service. We shouldn't be surprised that sinners sin. We shouldn't judge that them say, well, if they would just get there, I can't believe they're doing that. Why is it we say that when sinners are going to sin? Until they have a life change from God or the Spirit of God changes their life, there, there cannot be this sudden change unless they have Jesus. So we've we got to know how to present the gospel properly, not out of condemnation, but out of grace first, which is what Jesus always gave, and then out of truth. And I steal that from Chris Hodges all the time, is that he always says, we've got to give people the grace of God. That's what he does. But Jesus, when he gave them grace, he always would tell them, he said, get up and sin no more. When he said, I forgive your sin, then he would give them truth. This is what you need to do. Go preach the gospel. So we know there's got to be grace, but we cannot preach a gospel of grace without preaching sin, truth, and the way they need to live their life. And, and then we have a pestilence among the people in this time. But they, our day and time, of course, we're looking at something we've never seen before. And, and, and I believe the only hope we have in what we're facing now. I mean, we went to everything, and I've been right there with you. I mean, like, you know, this is going to fix it, that's going to fix it. And don't get me wrong, yes, yeah, some of this stuff's helping but nothing will help us more than the presence of God and God healing our land. God can heal the pestilence. I believe that with all my heart. But to heal our land literally means this. They'll put it up for you here. It means to cure, to make whole, and to healer of humanity or the healer of man. 
Now, so God wants to heal our land. Last week, we took this scripture uh, in, in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, and we just focus on if my people, which are called by my name, which literally means that you're his people, they were his people then, but called by my name means by the reputation of God and the character of God. What's the reputation and character of God? Of course, he's a holy God. He's a good God, though. And, and, and it's by his reputation that he's never lost a battle. It's by his reputation that he's never left us, never forsaken us, that he's not leaving us to hang here just to be miserable and die, but he's always there, and he has never failed and never gets tired or worn out. So that's what we looked at on last week. Next week, we're going to look at turn from their wicked ways. And God poured into me a lot yesterday on just next week's message that I can't wait to bring to you. It's going to be my favorite one, but probably the hardest one I preached on as well. But today, we're going to look at humble themselves, pray, and seek my face. He said, my people, which are called by my reputation, by my character, they need to humble themselves, they need to pray, they need to seek my face. Now, humble yourself literally means to physically kneel, to physically kneel. Yes, God doesn't just ask spiritual things of us, but also there's things in the natural God wants us to do. We know that. And, and a lot of spiritual things don't take place until we do something in the natural. But how many knows you can fake it in the natural, and because your heart's not in it, then nothing will happen in the supernatural. So just because you kneel don't mean you're praying. Just because you say you're worshiping, it looks like, I mean, you raise your hands. I can give you so many things that's happened in life. I can remember one time, and I know this freaks people out when I say it, but I didn't tell this in the 9 a.m. This is free for you all. Um, one time I was in a revival, and I invited this lady minister to come to do a revival for us And uh, when we was pastoring Gilbert. I looked around, and God instantly said, that woman is full of devils. She, she's a wolf in sheep's clothing. She's not really worshiping. It's false. I went, what? You know, this thing's not happened to me in Logan. I saw all those devils I cast out happen over in uh, over in Gilbert. So um, that's where Kristen's from. I like to give her a hard time. I said, well, since I came to Logan, I've been free from casting out devils. Uh, it's a joke. I, we, we've cast out devils here, too. It's just not been in service. Um, <laughs> so it happens, okay? So anyways, I was there, and I seen that. And I was like, Lord, what do you mean? I was like, he's full. I said, okay, God, I'll go back there, and I'm going to pray for it. And I promise you 15 seconds later, I opened my eyes. I said, I'm going to go back there, and I'm going I'm to confront this devil and this lady. And don't get me wrong, God just doesn't speak that stuff to me. So I don't, you know, and I'm not weirded out by it. I was raised in church where this stuff happened. I've been overseas where it's just normal that you see these things. So for me, it's just like another day going. It's like the other day I was texting with David Quick. I said, I got to go and bless a home and pray the devil's out. He said, I don't know if you're joking or for real, but that's some serious stuff. I went, for me, it's like normal stuff just to go do it. And, and I guess this is the pastor's life, hashtag pastor's life. Anyways, I look back, and next thing you know, that little evangelist is probably 90 pounds. Her name's now Missy Webb. Some of y'all may know her. She used to be Missy Fields at this time she got married to a guy by the name of Brad. But anyways, she was, next thing I know, she was on top of this lady who was about her size, casting out devils. I just went back there and cheered her on. Bless Jesus. Yes, do your thing. She cast them out. But I can remember those are the things that can literally take place and strongholds and different things that we can fight in the time in which we live. So we have to know that there can be fate or falseness to anything that takes place in the kingdom. That lady was just worshiping, just worshiping, but full of devils, 
I mean, full. And then when we talked to her afterwards, the sorcery and the witchcraft she had at her home for years and had been on it. And, and what's sad is that night she went back and she went right back to the same stuff, not to go back to another church. It's a big stronghold. I know that we cast them out that night, but she was very, see it weak. We was like, you got to go home now. Get this stuff out of your house. Get this stuff out of your life. Cut it off. But we have to know that we can do all these things in action, but our heart not really be in it, all right? So if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, humble, mean kneel yourself down physically, but not just that, but spiritually subject yourself to God. In other words, come under his will. The pray here actually means like an intercession, that you're standing in the gap. You're like a watchman. You're, you are representing God, but you're praying on behalf of your nation, your region, your family. In other words, you hear me pray a lot of times that we need to repent on behalf of the, on the, uh, on behalf of the sins of our nation. Because sinners are not repenting that. The people of God need to take responsibility. Don't get me wrong. God took all the responsibility through Christ on the cross. But it's okay for us to say, God, forgive us of our immorality. Forgive us of our addictions. Forgive us of our wrongdoing because that's what brings healing to the Lamb. Then seek my face means it's a deep striving for. It's like digging deep, a beseeching, and asking through prayer for God to do something. So God's asking us to kneel, subject ourselves to his will, to begin to pray on behalf of others and ourselves for God to forgive us, for God to touch, for God to heal us, but to dig deep and even go deeper than what we can imagine in moments. It's not a passive prayer, but this is really more of an aggressive type, striving for, digging deep, meditating type of prayer. So today, what does it look, for, look like for us to go to God and say, God, we want our land healed. As you said, it's a promise in your scripture. And God has promised that, but the beginning of that scripture has one big word, if. It's, all, it's a very conditional promise. Not every promise is just a promise. It's going to fall like a pie out of the sky, but some promises are conditional. And this is one of those ones that's conditional. See, scripture tells us that we need to intervene, that we need to dig deep and begin to pray on behalf of the people. Now, sometimes the why are we not praying? Many times people believe that their prayers aren't going to change anything. But if that's true, why is it God would give us a scripture like this that we often quote? Why is it that if prayer really doesn't change things? I'll be the first to tell you, if prayer doesn't do anything else, it changes you every time you go to pray. Even the Apostle Paul talked about praying without ceasing, that we have to keep a prayerful mind. That means to continually to keep things before God. That means you may be doing your office work, on your MacBook, whatever you're working on. You're just going away, and then something comes to your mind. You stop for a minute, maybe 30 seconds, maybe two minutes, and you pray. Or you think about it, or you meditate. That's what that means. Or you're just driving down the road, you listen to sports, and all of a sudden you're not listening to it because God really begins to pour something in you, so you begin to pray. It's like those times of the prompting of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, so you begin to pray in those times. So God's word's full of promises, but those promises hinge on our faith and the action of our faith. Now, I'm not preaching works today. I'm preaching faith must be married to works. Works alone does you no good. You can have, say you've got all this faith and all these spiritual things, but put no action behind it. So to say that you believe prayer works would be that you believe and take God at his word, but then you literally pray and you ask God and you believe God. So humbling ourselves and praying and seeking God is faith married to works. Now, some people actually teach 
that we don't have to pray like that for things to change. They teach that Jesus didn't teach that, which we know he didn't uh, teach just that, that he taught a lot more. But I believe that as some of them do only teach that Jesus taught people how to just to deal with the seasons and just to deal with life. And it's true he has. He's taught us to do that in a kingdom way, but also he taught us to pray so we could change our surroundings. So th both. He wants us to know how to deal with seasons like this, but we also know that God can change circumstances. He can raise, we heard a testimony. People prayed for Libby. Libby was raised out of a sick bed. I mean, resurrected twice. I mean, I looked there a couple weeks ago when she's talking about, I'm like, you came back from the dead twice. And, and, and you know, you can smile. So, but it is real. But prayer changes those things. And prayer brings about a different surroundings. But Jesus taught the disciples how the kingdom of God is like leaven. See, leaven is the yeast that goes into the bread that makes the bread rise. Leaven is the transformation of the bread for something different to happen. In fact, you've got kingdom leaven and you've got the world leaven. The world is changing rapidly and quickly. But, and as the world is accelerating itself in wickedness, as Scripture says that in the last days, that this, these things will even wax worse or grow worse. And it's just not growing worse, but in the last 20 years, we have seen a rapid movement of worldliness and sin and immorality like we've never seen. But we've gotten so used to it that now we just wink at it. Well, well that's just life. But then the same time that that happens, the leaven of the kingdom is still moving and making an impact. But as the world is accelerating something, so is Jesus accelerating this move of the Spirit in the last days. What God's going to do in these last days is going to be a quick work. The enemy knows it. That's why he's doing a quick work on his end with everything that he's doing. So we need the kingdom culture that I preached about a few weeks ago. Your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. The world has its leaven, but so does the kingdom of God. But we want God to heal our land, so we need the kingdom. The kingdom to manifest when we pray. Why do we need the kingdom when the kingdom comes? And that leaven of the kingdom is in us. And it begins to filter and hit other people. The kingdom of God ends pestilences. It, it ends diseases. It stops locusts from devouring uh, the crops and devastation coming. And also the kingdom begins to bring a renewal and a change and the reign of the Holy Spirit. So Levin redefines that state which we're in. It's the picture of Jesus that he taught that we are to bring the kingdom to the earth as leaven. So Jesus also said that we are light and salt in the earth. And that impacts our surroundings. So not only we leaven, and we can be leavened through the kingdom, but also we can be salt and we can be light to impact the world. Now, I want to bring us to a story today. And it, it, it is a story about a lady by the name of Hannah. Most of us probably know this story. But her womb was in famine. She could not have a child. And she prayed, and things wasn't changing. And in her day, when a woman could not have a child, they was considered like cursed. And she had all that weight on her, and all she wanted was a child. And back then, a man, I know it's crazy to think about, but back then, it was okay to have two wives. And he had two wives, and one of them was blessed with children, it looked like, and the other one did not have children. So that one that was having children was really pesting and irritating the one that couldn't. So let's read about it, 1 Samuel 2. Or 1 Samuel 1, verse 2. It says, 
He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Paniah. And Paniah had children. And Hannah had no children. But Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Now notice, this was Hannah's famine, that the Lord closed her womb. Now pay attention to that. There's a reason for that. He closed her womb until a time to have a child. So then it goes on, and her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. So Hannah would go pray for a child, and the other wife of this man would go and irritate her and provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, the husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more, am I not more to you than t ten sons, more good to you or better to you than ten sons? And after they had eaten and drank uh, Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on my affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give to him the Lord, uh, to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be in a drunken state. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I'm a woman in tr troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace. And the Lord of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. Now, this is a story of persistent uh, prayer. Now, you'll hear some people teach prayer this way, that if you pray it once, just thank God for it, go on, and you don't have to pray no more. Well, Jesus did teach that in moments we can do that, and there's times I've done that, and I didn't feel led to pray. But there's times that we need persistent prayer. When do we need persistent prayer? Any time that we know it's a spiritual warfare and there's walls up, then we've got to keep praying until those walls fall. There's times we keep going to that wall, that spiritual warfare, and we keep praying. And as we pray, the bondages or the wall of the enemy just slowly goes away. I mean, that can be sickness in our body. That can be circumstances. That can be uh, finances. That can be with your kids. It can be with so many things that we need to be persistent. There's been times I prayed it, thank God for it, walked off, God done it later. And then there's times that I prayed for years over things, just like Hannah was praying for years. We can look and see that she was praying for a child for years. But persistent prayer is what we're looking at in 2 Chronicles 7 and 14. This is the kind of prayer that, that, that demonic strongholds fight, fights against. You better believe that the enemy is going to fight against a great awakening or a revival or God healing our land. Now hear this. This is where it begins to get a little bit more weighty. Persistent prayer allows me to change to whom I need to be so I can handle or steward the answer that God gives or what God releases. God will not trust you with something that you cannot steward well. Sometimes we have to get our character in a state or place before God can release what he needs to re release in our life. 
Now, we don't like to hear that. You mean why I'm persistently praying God can be changing me? You better believe it. Every time you go to prayer, you're persistent in prayer. First thing that's going to be changed is you. Because you can't help the change when you're in his presence. Every time you're in his presence, that is you becoming more into the image of God and molding into who he's called you to be. So I need to be able to steward the way God is going to heal our land. I believe God can send something to Logan in such a powerful way that we need to be ready to steward that. Not to make it some type of fame for the credit that we are or a platform for our name to be known. But we need to steward in some way that God gets all the glory. God will not trust us with a great awakening of healing our land and a great revival if we are not willing to steward it properly. See, persistent prayer is life-changing. A lot of things we pray for, if it was given immediately, we would not manage them well. There's some things in my life that if God would have gave them to me the moment I asked, I wouldn't have been thankful for it and managed it properly. But now because God has released it in time and I've seen that it was warfare to get it, now I'm like, man, I'm going to manage this right. It's like somebody with finances that really messes up for the first 10 years of their life, their marriage life. You'll see it. They'll mess up and it takes them another 10 years to get out of it. By the time they start handling money right, they're 45. But from that moment on, they watch every dime, they watch every dollar, and they manage it properly because they know what it's like not to have it in the be in dire straits because of a financial bind. See, much of what we experience in Christ through answered prayers and breakthroughs is determined by what we become. See, our becoming takes place often in persistent, life-changing prayer. There is always us in a state of becoming. Should be a state of becoming more like him, a state of more maturity. So we're always moving to the becoming of what God is calling us to, and then he releases those promises in our life as we come up on those stages. See, people in the world don't understand that a lot of times. I was telling a coach the other day, I said, sometimes players are really good until they get on another stage. I said, but then their character can't handle it, or their mentality or their mindset can't handle it. But when you prep their mind, their character, with their ability, when they get there, they can handle the stage in which they're given. But our becoming takes place often and persistent, life-changing. It's a breakthrough-or-die kind of feeling. And we've all had those moments where we really deeply prayed for something that ached us. It could have been for our family. It could have been for a, a new job. And I'm not saying every season is this kind of prayer because every season of my life is not this kind of prayer. This happens to be a season that I feel like God's called us to this since August, since the beginning of August. I feel like this is the time of prayer that God's got me in for this season, but just not me, but so many people in the kingdom. The greatest revivals in history, when you study the history of revival, was birthed with this kind of prayer. But you know, it didn't come out of people as well that was serving God for a long time. It came out of teenagers to people in their 20s. That is where every great revival would have been birthed. You would study it. Think about Jesus' disciples. A lot of them believed very few of them was in their early uh, 20s. Most of them was teenagers. But they learned how to pray, and Jesus taught them how to pray. And, and you heard me say it last week. These are they, talking about the disciples in the New Testament, the apostles, that these are they that turned the world upside down, that they was initiators of that great revival, but their character was ready for it because they had been persistently praying, and they came to that point of becoming. So let's look at our story today. Hannah 
was at this kind of point in Scripture. She was needing her womb to change. She was needing the famine to end. In fact, she was barren with a, in her physical womb and could not have a child. And with Hannah, this had been going on for some time. But she began to go into what we would call a deep, consistent time of prayer. The old-timers, if you're from the old-time church, they would call this a prayer where they laid it all out or they stretched it out. They was on the stretch. Or they would say, I labored in prayer. And here's the one they would use the most, is that we was travailing in prayer. The New Testament actually uses that word travail in the book of Romans, talking about prayer. This is such a deep prayer, it's related to like childbirth. When a woman's in birth and she's at the point of giving new life, that there is crying, there is groaning, there's all of that horrible pain with it. But when you go to prayer and there's deep prayer, there's moments that it's going to be a travail that you can't say words, but you're just weeping. You're just crying to God. In fact, this might be a prayer in certain seasons that you'd be embarrassed to have for yourself and the way people would look at you. But when you get so desperate as Hannah was, she didn't care what she looked like. She prayed in such a way that no longer words were coming out of her mouth, but she was just weeping, but within herself, her prayers was being heard to God. In fact, she looked so ridiculous that the priest Eli thought she was drunk. So scripture thought it was important for us to let us know in the physical she was kneeling, but she looked like she was possibly drunk over there. Her lips are moving, a lot of crying. Maybe some travailing prayer, crying's coming out, but really no words, lips moving, but other sounds coming, but none of the words like she was actually praying within herself was coming out of her mouth. Eli's like, this lady's been on the wine too long. She said, it's not wine. I haven't had wine. I haven't had strong drinks. She said, but I am really, she said, I am vexed in my spirit. I want to have a child. Ian Bounds said this, it's only when the whole heart is gripped with the passion of prayer that the life-giving fire descends. For none but the earnest man gets access to the ear of God. And you want to get the ear of God in a desperate season. In a season that America needs their land healed. Our region needs the land healed. We should ache in such a way that when we get to this desperation and earnest heart, it begins to grab the ear of God. Some will say you don't have to labor in any prayer or be persistent in prayer, then it's already given. You know, in, in so many words, they're right. Some things are very easy. Pastor Patty, you know we supported with the wells, and he was talking to me about when he raised the dead. And one of his messages here years ago, probably eight, nine years ago now, he was talking about him raising the dead, which, you know, you're all ears. Like, raise the dead. What? You know, dead for, for a while. They brought a person. He's mentioned it one day preaching. He said, God can raise the dead. And that's all he said. He wasn't like really preaching on that. Well, the next day, somebody had died that afternoon. 24 hours, they bring someone that is dead. They're like, that can't happen. Listen, anything can happen, especially when you're over there. Anything can happen. He said, man, I preach it. These people believe in God. They bring a dead man. They lay him down. He said, I just begin to just circle around him for 45 minutes to an hour. I just pray, pray, pray. He said, next thing you know, he said, body began to get warm. He said, actually, he urinated. The man that was dead began to urinate, and then life came. I'm like, that is crazy. But it still happens. You're like, miracles. And he really worked prevailing prayer in that moment. 
Then word got around the dead was raised. Someone brought him a, a baby that had died and been dead for a couple hours. Here he is holding this little baby boy, I believe. And as he's holding the baby, he said, I dreaded that persistent prayer. He said, I dreaded it. He said, I labored hard for that. Here we go again. Why if the baby don't come alive? He said, all I did is I held that baby like this. And he said, thank you, Jesus. In the beginning of his prayer, and he said, then the baby started crying. He's like, hey, it was easy. There's times that it's easy. But there's times that we got to be persistent. When I studied out 2 Chronicles 7, 14, this thing's not going to happen without a cost. Some things cost us. See, many times what is withdrawn from our account, God's given us everything in Christ Jesus for the Ephesians. Every need we ever had has been done through the cross. But there's things that's like it's laid up for us in heavenly places. It means like we have an account that we can draw from. But before we can draw from that account, when we pray persistently, our character catches up with what we can draw out of that account. Well, what do you mean? What do you mean? Well, you see in Scripture where kingdoms were given to kings that did not have the character to handle it. And the kingdom would crumble and they would crumble with it. They could not handle the platform of the stage. Their character did not match it. Then God, after a few kings of them handling it and crumbling, and then God would raise up someone that would do right in the eyes of God, and the kingdom we would see would flourish. We all have aches in our hearts of what we're praying for, but some things are born out of prayer that are birthed because we've travailed. Great things do not come out of prayers of convenience. Oftentimes, it comes out of prayers of persistence that's not convenient, that's been very inconvenient for you. You're like, well, why did Pastor Patty raise the dead on one persistence? His prayer life is always persistent. He had already reached the place that his character could handle raising the dead. It didn't get to his head. He didn't have to be on a billboard. He didn't advertise it. You go over there, it's one of the most humble situations you'd ever see. Oh, I see the pastors around there trying to get money. Just like you see TV evangelists here. Every corner for a while, where you see this guy in this blue suit looking at you with all this gold on. I'm like, Pastor Patty, who is that? Oh, that's a guy. He said, he really gets into their pockets. That's all he would say. He said he really gets into their pockets. Pastor Patty wasn't about that. He was about the kingdom. And he said, God always provides our needs here. He said, I don't have to always dig into that and go there. Pastor Patty's character always matched up with what God was releasing. If we want God to release something that I'm talking to you about at this magnitude of God healing our land, that we see our lost loved ones saved, we don't have to come to them with a message that's so built, so grand, so beautiful. And sometimes, yes, we're doing outreach, but what if we prayed in such a way that his presence just hit? Some of y'all know I do a little bit of counseling now at, uh, in places. But I had a guy come into me the other day. And, and this is the second time this happened. I never mentioned Jesus and I never mentioned God to these guys, unless they bring it up. Because in counseling, you can't do that. Had a guy walked in the other day, and he's, I mean, he was trying to get out of it. He was trying to not be there. And he had already got a hold of him that day. Not kind of said, that's fine, whatever. You know, I'm, just, I'm busy today. I wasn't thinking much about Jesus at the time. I wasn't praying for anybody. I was not being spiritual. Just like you all, I had those days too. 
that. And you get in the day like, I really needed God today. Did I even pray? You know, you ask, like, did I pray? Oh, I think I did. And you're like, you know, where, where are you being? But in that moment, he, he looked at me. He, got, he was all squirming in his chair. And he just kept saying things to me. And he said, listen, where do you go to church at? And I told him, he said, so that's where you go. So I actually pastor. He said, well, well, that's, that's something. That's something. I said, why? He said, I feel like I need to pray. And I'm like, he's, just, he's playing me. He's playing me. Then he began to squirm. And he began to say all kinds of things. And then tears began to roll. And I'm like, okay, this guy's real. I'm telling you, I wasn't feeling Jesus. But conviction hit that room. He said, I tried to get out of this today. I tried not to be here. The moment you came out and got me and brought me back, I came under conviction. I haven't felt this in over 20 years. We can have, and I'm not saying anything about me on that. It just happened. That don't happen to me every day. But we can have such a spirit of God about us. Such anointing on our life of seeking God that when we come to people that they feel his presence. Led him to the Lord that day. Of course, he had to hug me 10 times under COVID, which I didn't care. We can hug again, you know. Jesus touched him. What does God want to do? God doesn't just want me to have it. Revival and awakening. Listen, there's something so costly about this thing called prayer. Doesn't mean you have to spend 30 minutes at one time, but keep your mind upon God. And when the moments come that you need to press in and the travail comes, then let the travail come. You can't force the travail. But you can constantly, in meditation and continually prayer, Come to God in those moments. But this revival and awakening come. It's not just going to happen in a building like this. It's going to be at a barbershop. You sit in a chair and say, I don't know what's wrong with me. I feel like I need to pray. You happen to be the right person that can pray with you. It may be happening in your business. It may be happening at your job. It may be happening in your classroom. It may be happening. I believe revival and awakening. You hear me when I say this. I feel it so strong. He's going to do it on ball fields. He's going to do it on teams. He's going to do it in locker rooms. He's going to do it in our schools. And I believe God is going to bring our character into a place that we can steward this the way it needs to be stewarded. Something costly about prayer. Some people pray with intentions to be blessed, which is fine, but I believe God's looking for us to get to a place that we just want to pray and get to know Him, that we seek Him. See, Hannah is praying. Words are not forming, but her lips are moving. She's laid it all out before God. She was on the stretch, solely, totally abandoned unto God. As an athlete would say, I laid it all on the field. In other words, they dig them as deep they know how to dig. They gave it all that they had, and they laid it out. Hannah laid it all out. She went as deep as she could go, and she said, God, I just want a child. This kind of prayer brought Hannah into her becoming. See, God already had a plan for Samuel to be born from Hannah. God already had a plan for Hannah to bear a son. But he caused her womb to go bare, barren until the proper time. There had to be a becoming. Her character had to line up with the promise of God. Catch this. Hannah wanted a son. But God wanted a prophet. So what does Hannah pray? It's when Hannah begins to pray this, God, I want a son. I mean, I can just imagine years of praying, 
being irritated by the other wife, made fun of, ridiculed. You can't have a son. You're cursed, Hannah. Hannah, every day going to the temple, God, give me a son. But one day she got so desperate, she looked drunk. She went to Trevelli prayer. Words could not even be formed. Could not even hear words, according to Scripture. Looking like a drunk woman at the altar, Eli said, you need to quit drinking, I'm not drinking. But she was praying this prayer, God, give me a son. Tell you what, God, if you give me a son, I will dedicate him to you in this fashion. I will prepare him until he's the age of five, and at the age of five, I'll bring him to Eli here at the temple, and you raise him up to be a priest. Not knowing still yet it's a prophet that God's called him to be. That's the moment that her character was at the place that the promise could be released. So Hannah prays. says, God, he is yours. And God says, all right. Now, you know what I want. If I'd have gave you a son, you would have done all you could to keep him out of priesthood. And I'd had to form another plan in order to get him in here to be a prophet. But now I've got your character lined up that no matter what I give you, you're going to manage it well. Because remember, everything's God's. What's God's? First of all, you're God's. We hear this today. Don't get mad at it. My body, my choice. It's not your body, your choice. This is God's body. His call. That goes against the spirit of this age, doesn't it? Your kids are not yours. They are God's. You manage them as they are the Lord's. Your money, you manage it and God owns it all. You do what he says to do with your money, with your cars, with your home, with your life, with your direction, with your kids. This is God. It's not mine. But we say mine, mine, mine. Hannah got rid of the mine and me. She gave it up and said, God, it's you that I want when you can lay down the me and say, God, it's just you that I want. You've got to be willing to give back to God the very thing which we ache for. And that's why revival and awakening doesn't happen is because God says man and humanity's credit, uh, heart is not ready to be lined up to just stir it and know it's my move and not their move. See, Abraham had the promised child. giving back to the Lord. The very promised child. He, I mean, he was past age and had this child. He even tried to have a child, the promised child through his maid service. Why? I said, you go to lay with another woman and have a child. That wasn't the promise either. Such a powerful moment. Abraham goes up, offer his son Isaac, just as God gave his son Isaac. He says, Lord, he's yours. He knew died there that God would raise him back. That was his faith. Our prayer is, cries, God, heal our land. We need our land healed. We, listen, I believe in Logan. I believe in our region. But I believe it in such a way that I need to ache because God heal our land. Give us more sons and daughters of faith. God, let there be grace preached, but also truth preached. Our land needs the rain. Our land needs the devastation to stop. Our land needs the pestilence to end. When we quit leaning on the natural and our strength and wisdom and lean on God, then we'll see His mighty act. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to reach out to us, please contact us through social media or at westloganchurch.com.